Lord, we come to you this morning and we lift up your name. For you are the greatest friend. You have called us into relationship with you. And in that we rejoice in the goodness and the kindness and the tender mercies of God. And God, as we go to your word this morning, may you be exalted. May you move through your Holy Spirit to draw us to yourself. For those who don't know you and have not been brought into relationship with you, God, I pray that you would draw them. For those who are here this morning and hurting and struggling with pain, with loss, with so many things that are distracting, God, may you get their attention and comfort them and encourage them, strengthen them, provide for them, that your name would be exalted above all names. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. In the search for friendship, I'm sure that all of us at one time or another, at one season or another in our lives, have met up with and made a good friend. Maybe even some great friends, even if it's just for a season. Maybe it was in high school and you played sports together and you got into trouble together and who knows what else, right? Or maybe in college, that those years when for some of us who went to college, you had a lot of time together, right? It was a unique time of life. And you shared some experiences and, and had some wonderful friendships that you thought, man, this is going to be great. And then you moved on and, and you're in another season of life, some of you, and, and those friends come and go. Some of you have great friends even now. But this is, this is clear, that... Our friends can never be everything that we might think or hope that they should be. There's not one friend in this life who could be everything that you need from them to be. They will disappoint you and you them. Drew Hunter, author of Made for Friendship, or Designed for Friendship, writes this. Maybe over the course of life and maybe even accentuated by this study, You've become convinced that true friendship is hard to find. Or you've become discouraged because you realize that you have often failed to be a true friend. You've broken a friendship. You've distanced yourself from people. And you've made a mess of relationships. The reality is that there is no friend nor group of friends that can... Meet all your needs, no matter how godly they are. And yet we've spent, what, three weeks already encouraging you to friendship. Like, go get a friend. Well, not quite. We've encouraged you to biblical friendship. And, and maybe for some of you, that has only put salt in the wound. Maybe that has only increased your appetite for what you don't presently have. And maybe you're in some great friendships, but you still sense that, man, there's, there's just more. There's more. And you would be right. You would be right because there is no friend or group of friends that can satisfy every need you have. Right? In fact, we will deeply disappoint one another. No matter how godly, transparent, and connected they may be, they won't meet your needs, nor you them. They can't influence us perfectly. They can't know us fully, and they can't be with us constantly. And to that, we'd say, amen, praise the Lord, right? 
Those kind of friends, well, they don't remain friends real long sometimes, right? You just remove your foot from your neighbor's door, lest he hate thee, right? The proverb says, and grow weary of you and hate thee. Um, but like you and like me, they are both human and sinners. And I say both of those words because I think both words are very important. First of all, they are human. They are just simply limited by the confines of the human condition. They only have so much time, so much energy, so much bandwidth, so much life, right, before they're gone. And so that part of it makes it difficult. You can't be friends with everybody. A man who has, is, has many friends will soon be pulled apart, the Proverbs tell us. You can't be friends with everybody. But you also are dealing with a bunch of sinners. So we're not just human, but we're also sinners, And as sinners, we are innately proud, we're selfish, we're unkind, we're not gracious, we're impatient. We could just go on down the line, right? But we're not going to, this isn't a beat up session, this is just a reminder, we're both human and we're sinners. And therefore, we are not perfect friends. Not one person in here can be a perfect friend. And if you are looking at someone else's friendship, or you looked at this group of guys that set up here, and you go, well, that's guys, or they, they have this, and I don't have... Hey, that's not a perfect set of friends right there, right? That we had come sit and talk to us a couple of weeks ago. It was just some guys talking about friendship and what that transparency can affect in our lives. But I think... That the fact that we are both human and sinners can actually be good news for us here this morning. Because it whets our appetite for something more. It leaves us wanting more, right? And that's good because we were never made to find all that we need in other men and women. Not your spouse, not your best friend, not your best group of friends. You were made to find your satisfaction and your joy and your delight in the Lord God. And for that reason, the failure of human friendship leaves us longing for better friendship, for unfailing friendship. There are some of us that would probably settle for someone who would just bring us a donut from Titus Pastries and a cup of coffee from Darkside Roasters on a bad day. That would be enough friendship for us, right? Um, but in fact, there is, there is clearly something more. Let me introduce you, if you haven't met him yet, to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus, the friend of sinners. He won't bring donuts and coffee. I can assure you that. He might send someone with him, but he is the greatest friend. He is the greatest friend. The religious leaders in Jesus' day used or accused Jesus of being a friend, a glutton and a friend of sinners. Well, I think their accusation is in fact great news, great news for you and me, that he is indeed the friend of sinners. Today, my hope is that by the end of this service, that you will be convinced knowing that Jesus Christ is indeed your greatest friend and the greatest friend, confident, that you can grow deeper and deeper into the relationship with the God of the universe as your greatest friend. So if this is true, if indeed Jesus Christ is the friend of sinners, and he is indeed the greatest friend, where's the proof? 
I want some proof. Show me. All right. I'm not from Missouri. They call it the show me state. I'm thankful I'm not from Missouri. I'm from Kansas. We don't think much of that state to the east. Um, the misery state of misery, we call it. Although they do are they are the home of the chiefs. Those of you that are Colts fans are filled with dread right at this moment. Right. That's who they play today. But this the, the show me state, they're like, hey, just show me, show me. Well, show me. Show me that Jesus Christ is truly the friend of sinners and the greatest friend. Well, if you have doubts about this, consider this. That he left the magnificence of heaven for the lowliness of Bethlehem's stable. He took on the flesh of sinners like you and me. He experienced the pain, sorrows, and temptations of life that he might be your friend. The renowned British preacher Charles Spurgeon said in his sermon on Matthew eleven nineteen, Jesus, friend of sinners... But there is more. As soon as Jesus Christ, being born in the likeness of sinful flesh, has come to years of maturity and commenced the real life work, he at once discloses his friendship for sinners by associating with them. You do not find him standing at a distance, issuing his mandates and his orders to sinners to make themselves better. But you find him coming among them like a good workman who stands over his work. He takes his place where the sin and iniquity are, and he personally comes to deal with it. He does not write out a prescription and send by another hand his medicines to heal the sickness of sin. But he comes right into the leper house, touches the wounded, looks upon the sick, and there is healing in the touch and life. In the look, you see, Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners, is truly a friend that comes to the, the place of need. He comes to us in our need. Doesn't matter how sinful, how sick, how far away, or how dead. Jesus went the distance for sinners. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples in John, we've read this earlier when we started the series back in John 15, greater love has no one than this. That someone lay down his life for whom? For his friends. You want evidence? You want proof that Jesus Christ is the friend of sinners? He came, he spent time among, he ministered to, and he died for. You are my friends, he goes on to say, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. He says, I, the, the one who's true friend, the great friend, the greatest friend, will lay down his life for his friends. Guess who my friends are? I call you friends. Within a paragraph, he makes it clear that he is that great friend. So you need proof of his friendship. He was a friend not only to them that he knew personally, but he was a friend to us before we ever even knew it. In Romans 5, 6-8, we read this a little bit ago. Our elder Paul Radcliffe read this for us. And he's in verse 6, he says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Who are the ungodly? That's you and me, right? That's you and me. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us. Us who? The ungodly, the sinner, Jesus, friend of sinners, right? But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He laid down his life. The very thing that he told his disciples a great friend does, and then he called them friends, he did for us. 
Jesus is the friend of sinners exactly like you and like me. Jesus is the friend of sinners. And that is great, great news. Jesus is clearly the greatest friend because he has gone the distance to befriend the greatest sinners. Paul, Paul claimed that he was the chief of sinners as he wrote his epistles. I would argue that each of us could claim very clearly that we are the chief of sinners. If you only knew our thoughts, if you could only see all our deeds, if you could see our motives from beginning to end, you would see that each and every one of us are in fact sinners. And yet he died for us. You have many friends that have died for you? I know one. I know one. And that is our Lord Jesus Christ. The eternal, exalted, holy Lord demonstrated without a doubt that He is the eternal, intimate friend that we so desperately need. It's kind of mind-boggling when you put all that in one package, right? That the eternal God sent His Son to die. And He did it for His enemies, for the ungodly, for the unrighteous who weren't looking for it, who weren't asking for it. In fact, we each had gone our own way, and yet he did this. The eternal God is not only willing, he shows in this, but, but he desires for us, for me and for you to live an intimate relationship. That's the distance that he went to make it possible, to provide the means that you and I might have a friendship with God. That is the single greatest act of love in the history of the world. And so I would argue that he has qualified, he has proven himself as Jesus, the greatest friend. Jesus, the friend of sinners. But not only the proof of that Jesus is the friend of sinners, but that he is the greatest friend that we're looking at So we want to know what kind of friend is he? Yeah, we understand what he did in the past. He's proven without a doubt that he's the greatest friend. But what's the nature of this friendship? What is he like? Right. That's when all these dating apps and all that you want to go on. You go on there and I've never used one. Didn't have they didn't have that when we met. It was called Christian College. We went to and like, oh, there she is. No. (laughs) And it was a library at a Christian college at that. You know, I was up there studying. Um, and she was really studying um, on that night. But that's, that's a whole other story that we, you, we'll tell you another time. All right. But what is the nature of this? We want to know this one who has gone the distance to be our friend. Sounds good. But what about him makes him such a great friend? Well, I want to move through this sort of quickly so that we can sort of see in a quick package a snapshot. Now, let me tell you right from the get-go, this is not going to be an all-inclusive list. We could not be here. We don't have time for a complete theology of the friendship of God. Okay? I'm going to pull some highlights out that we can think on that are helpful to us as we leave today to consider Jesus Christ as the friend of sinners. The greatest friend. And so first of all, we want to see Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners, is the one who has the greatest love. And we've already introduced this in terms of proving that he is the greatest friend. In John 15, 9 and 10, he said, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. 
As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, you may say, what? I don't, I don't get that. How is that the greatest love? Okay, let's think about this. You've got the eternal, perfect, holy God and his love within the Trinity between Father and Son. And he invites you, he offers you to abide in that love, just as he has loved his Father. I don't think there is probably a greater love on any level than the love of the Trinity. Right? It would be a perfect love, and he invites you into that. You might think of a friend that maybe they wouldn't love you if they really knew you. Well, think about this. He invites you into that love, knowing exactly who you are. He knit you together when you were in your mother's womb, and he has known you your entire existence. And even knowing that, even knowing Stephen Schultz, I can be confident in the love of God, not because of me, but because he's the greatest friend. Because he's Jesus, friend of sinners, who has gone the distance already to make it possible for me to be his friend. It's not on me, it's on him, you see. Amen. Romans 8, 31 and 32 says, What then can we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's a friend I want to have. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You know, you've had friends that have done great things for you, that have made it to where because of the act that they have taken on your behalf, there's so many things. It sort of opens the door to say, well, man, if they do that for me, I mean, if they'd help me move, I mean, what wouldn't they do for me, right? I mean, that is, we see that in in real life, but we have one who went the complete distance. So that love is so evident and so grand that he welcomes us in. We should feel free to come as his friend, knowing that is in confidence that there's nothing too great for him, nothing overwhelming for him. His capacity is endless, and we'll get into that in a minute. But his love is the thing that opens the door to all that and, and invites us in. Undeserving sinners welcomed in. He loves us and he calls us into not just his love, but into intimacy, the greatest intimacy. And we alluded to that already as we heard of the love he has with the Father, but he invites us to know him as he knows the Father. To abide deeply rooted in his love. John 15.10 says again, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. He, he invites us all the way in. Right? There's, there's almost no human friends that invite you all the way in. As a matter of fact, it's kind of impossible. Because... In, we'll, we'll get into this a little bit later in terms of the capacity of God's love. But there's a, there's a limit, right, to the intimacy you want to have with your friends. You, at some point, you do want them maybe to go home, all right? Um, even with your spouse, that you don't spend 
you know, with your spouse. And I know that's a little uncomfortable to sit beside your spouse and me look at my spouse and and to say something like that. But that's reality because we're dealing with sinners. Right. And I'm sure I no, I'm not sure. I guarantee you I stake my life on it that I annoy my wife sometimes that I irritate her. That at times she's like, oh, just would you explain what you're going to say before you say it and explain where did that thought come from? You know, I guarantee you she needs some space from me. She's I think that's half the reason she goes off to teach kids so that she have someone more more intelligent than me to deal with. Right. But the fact is, the fact is, is Jesus invites us all the way in. Now, in this life, will we fully experience that? No, but we are we, we believers are described as being in Christ, right? We are in Christ. He says we are so inseparable that you're described as being in me. You don't have friends like that, I would wager. That can also guarantee that that, in, that, that relationship will endure for all eternity. He invites you all the way in. Matter of fact, he invites us so far in that he intends for you to be with him for all eternity. Man, that's all the way in. A lot of times you think of rich people, famous people, people with lots of, 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 of fame, right? That there's sort of a buffer that's built there. Like, um, if, if you were to see like a famous person walking through a grocery store, one that maybe is a childhood, you know, sort of hero, and you see them, maybe you begin to stalk them and sort of move through like, oh, just to say that you saw them. And I know someone who did that, actually, um, but uh, we won't name any names. But this childhood hero was in the store and they're like, oh, maybe I get to talk to him, see him, whatever. There's something about that buffer that, that puts a distance there, right? And that moment when you meet them is kind of, like, ooh, well, they're just people, right? They're, they're just people, but they've sort of been built up in our eyes. But with Jesus Christ, he doesn't do that. He, in fact, he is the greatest, the most holy, the most powerful, the most authoritative, richest in all of eternity. And, yet, and, and so, yes, we should be, in a sense, in fear, in awe, in wonder, and yes, we are. Yet, he says, come here. Come here. Come in. No, 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 no. All the way in. Nope, you're holding back. I want your wholehearted love. Wholehearted. Yes, Lord, I sang my songs and I, I even raised my hands a bit. And, and yes, I acknowledge that you are God and that you are my friend. No, he says, come here. Come here. I want to, I want to talk with you. I want to meet with you. I want to talk with you. I want to spend time with you. I want to spend eternity with you. Jesus, friend of sinners, invites you and me, little old sinners from here in central Indiana, into eternal fellowship with him. In the 1980s, a popular show, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, came on and it showed you these experiences and the homes or the palatial estates, multiple palatial estates and the yachts and all these things of the rich and the famous ones. And you thought, yeah, I get to see a little bit into their world, but you never really, 
were close to any of those people. You weren't invited to say, hey, come spend the weekend at their palatial estate and get to know. No, it was like, hey, they're them. You're you. Simply look through your TV and that's enough. All right. That's about all the closer we can have you get before you, you know, that's too close. Jesus wants you all the way in with him. But he not only desires for you to know him, he desires, he knows you and your needs and he is moved to act. You see, he's not only the one who has the greatest love and the greatest intimacy, but he has the greatest compassion. Here again, I can allude to a whole lot of things in our families where you kind of like you see someone in your family do something stupid and you're like, you kind of deserve that. You know, you're just a special kind of stupid. And and when you do stupid things, you win stupid prizes. Right. That's not how the Lord thinks of us. That's not how he's like, wait for this. Hey, go ahead. See how that works out for you. He's not taunting. His, his, his friends, his children. He is a friend that has no end, in fact, to his compassion. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, he says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are. He stood the full brunt of temptation, and it says, and without sin, yet without sin. Say, Lord, you don't understand my, my struggle. He's like, oh, but you give in every time or you give in sometimes. I never did. I stood against that full brunt of temptation and I never once gave in. So, yes, I do understand what it means to be tempted like you, yet without sin. Let us then, and this is the beautiful part. Not only does he understand, but the beautiful part is this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Here's how I interpret that. Schultz interpretation. Hey, he, he suffered like you. He understands you. And so he invites you to come so that he then has the joy and the, and, the, and the great glory of acting on your behalf. He wants to act. And he will act. He will provide grace and mercy to help in time of need. Well, man, that is a friend. That is a friend. He knows understands and is ready to give grace and mercy. So Jesus, when he was addressing the issue of worry in Matthew 6.26, helped us get a picture of how much he cares and how he cares for us. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Do they have needs? Yeah, they have needs. They need to eat and drink. But it says this, and yet your heaven, your Heavenly Father feeds them. Sorry, PETA people, but are you not more of more value than they? Are you not of more value than they? And the answer Jesus is, is alluding to there is yes! Yes! And he goes on to say in verse 32, Your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Man, seek what He seeks, love what He loves, desire what He desires, and you know what? He'll take care of you. He's truly a compassionate friend. He knows your needs. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your limits, and He knows your sin. And He cares, and He's ready to act to you on your aid. He was continually moved with compassion. 
continually moved with compassion while he, during his ministry here on earth. Matter of fact, I think this was the first sermon I preached when I was candidating to come here like 29,000 years ago. But 23, who's, give or take a few, right? He had compassion for the crowds because why? They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And other times he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And when the crowd had been with him already for three days, it says that he was moved with compassion and was unwilling to send them away lest they faint on the way. Jesus sees, he knows, and he is unwilling on behalf of his friends to, to stay motionless, to, to stay inactive. He's a friend. He's a friend. He knows the needs of his friend and he's unwilling to turn his back ever. Why? Because Jesus Christ, and we can count on this, because Jesus Christ is same today, yesterday, and forever. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And therefore, and I think we reverse these for our poor people in the sound booth, but they'll get past it. Jesus, the greatest friend, also is the friend with the greatest constancy. Constancy. The idea is one of faithfulness, the one of unchanging. He is a friend who never has a Monday. He never has Mondays. He's not moody. He's not one way one day and you don't know what you're going to get the next. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will never give up on you. For as a believer, you are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You are His workmanship. Why is He going to give up on you? He's still working on you, creating you to be a more effective workman for His kingdom. He's constant. He's consistent. On your best day, He understands that you still have great needs. On your worst day, in the midst of your sin, He's already dealt with it. He already has paid the penalty that to, buys you the, to buy you the grace whereby you can be forgiven for that sin. His mercies are as full and as rich and as free every day as the last. They overflow. Folks, Jesus, the friend of sinners, is the greatest friend. He's the unchanging one because He never lacks in any way. He never runs out on patience, mercy, power, or love. You see, why? Because he's the, he, has, he has the greatest capacity. It's unending. Your friends have limited resources. Even if you're Jeff Bezos' friend, Bezos, whatever his name is, Mr. Amazon, right? He has limited resources. It may not seem like it, it may not sound like it, but he has limited resources. Not just financial resources, but in every other way as well. Jesus has no capacity. Zero. You can't, you can't, well, you can't say zero, but you can't say he has a capacity. I mean, there is no, because that, the idea is it can be contained. It is infinite. You mathematicians could give me an equation that might be able to display this or describe this, but his capacity is infinite. As the greatest friend, he has an infinite bucket to carry your burdens, to forgive your sins, and to put up with you and to aid you in your hour of need. To demonstrate that, I want to take you to an interesting passage. A passage you probably wouldn't have chosen for this point. It's in Revelation chapter 1. And in Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, we get John at the beginning of this revelation, and he is overwhelmed 
by the one who appears to him. And he says in verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, fear not. I am the first and the last. (laughs) That's more reason to fear. He lays his right hand, the hand of friendship, on John and says, don't fear. I'm just the one who is before it all and after it all. And you're just little old you. But don't fear. And he goes on to say, and the living one. In other words, ever living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. He was there in the beginning. He'll be there in the end. He has the authority and power over all things, even to the point of death and final judgment. And so when we come to capacity, there is no limit to an eternal God with eternal authority, eternal judgment and eternal power. There's no capacity. Your friends who, yes, they have disappointed you. Your spouse, yes, they have disappointed you. And they will again. They have capacities. They are human, right? But the eternal God does not. Even best friends have their limits. Don't believe me? Why don't you try this for just a day? Just, no, just for an hour. Why don't you commit before God and before them, that you're going to say every thought that goes through your mind in that hour. You will not put any limits on it. It just every thought that you think is coming right out. How long do you think they'll be your friend? I mean, every thought. No, 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 no. I'm not thinking of any, uh, any filters, not a, filters not allowed. Everything that comes through this little head comes out your mouth with your spouse and with your best friend. Whew. In fact, it's not even funny, is it? Because we know our our hearts and minds. And we know how depraved we really are. And how we think thoughts that, oh, praise God, that the Holy Spirit helps us filter, right? And that, that we don't just say everything that comes out, because humans do have limits. But have you ever read the Psalms? When David talks to in such a bold and, and confident way of even say, wake up! Come to my aid! Are you sleeping? Woo! That's bold. But the Psalms teach us that God has, has limited, limitless capacity for, and, and, and invites His friends to come into and respond to Him in transparency and be drawn into relationship with Him of hope and of confidence. You see, your, the, your Savior, your friend, has a steadfast love. In fact, Lamentations 3, 22 through 24, you might not note that these verses down. I don't think they're in the slides. It says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. Good choice. Good choice. Don't put your hope in friends. Pour your heart into your friends. Love your friends well. 
Be Walk in the light with your friends. Speak the word to your friends. Encourage your friends. But don't put your hope in your friends. Single person, don't put your hope in a spouse. If you're alone, don't put your hope for resolving loneliness in some other human being. They'll disappoint you. Put your hope in the Lord. He is your, your portion. You see, we have a friend with the greatest love. We have a friend with the greatest, the greatest capacity, the greatest compassion, but we also have a friend with the greatest concern. This speaks to the perfect wisdom of God. Our earthly friends are easily distracted in their concern. Their concerns may be, hey, hey, your collar's a little messed up, you know, there. Um, it may be as simple as silly as that. Or it may be, hey, how are you doing? You know, you've got pain. Is there anything I can do to take your pain away? I just want you to not have pain. We have a sister here, Kathy Foster. I, I, I think any of you that know our sister in her journey over the last couple of years and the pain she has suffered, you just would like to take that pain away. But you know what? God hasn't taken the pain away because he's the greatest friend. And he has the greatest concern. In each of our lives, as those things come into our lives, he's not going to waste that pain. That would be unfriendly. To, get, to have you suffering and then only take the pain away and, well, there you had pain, now you don't. The Lord is committed to working all things together for your good, to, to bring about a transformation of His friends. And that's hard. That's hard. But until you realize and you can be confident in what we sang earlier, that the, it is the goodness of God that is our strength, that is our portion, that we can be confident and say... Lord, I don't understand this. I don't like this pain. I hate this pain. But Lord, I'm, I'm so confident in your concern that your concern is for my ultimate, genuine good. We want our friends to have a great time. Jesus wants your joy to be full. That's, there's a big difference. We are distracted to death by the pleasures of this world. And Jesus says, I want something more for you than the pleasures of this world. I want you to have joy forevermore in the presence of the Lord. I want you to have full joy. And He prayed that for His disciples. You see, we can't hope in Him. We can rest in Him because He is committed to our good. And I love this verse, 1 Timothy 1.15. If you want a sort of a laser verse to say how focused he was as a friend of sinners, the saying verse in 1 Timothy 1.15, it says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. In other words, Paul's saying, Believe me. Believe me. All right? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. Man, that cuts right to the heart of it. His chief concern, that was his purpose, was to save sinners. And it's not that Jesus is not concerned with our temporal needs. His greatest concern is your greatest need. He's truly concerned with what is perfectly and eternally good for you. Do you need a friend like that? I do. I do. And yet too often we as friends fail even in that. And that's something that we can grow in, right? Well, if you need a friend like I need a friend, and I'm not talking about the toy store, you got a friend in me, right? I know every parent who's ever seen that was probably thinking that at, at the, that moment. But, but we need this friend. So how can we 
enjoy the friendship of Jesus Christ? How can you be friends with Christ? Because he's not just some dude at the coffee shop, some lady that you've met at the mall. She is, those people can be wonderful friends in this life, but, but he's not just anyone. So how? How? As sinners, how can we be friends with the eternal God? Well, first of all, first and foremost, be reconciled to God. Accept and delight in the very work that we just read about. He came to save sinners. Your first response to enter into a relationship with him is to be reconciled to him. And today, if Jesus isn't your friend... He has made the way for you to be his friend. And he's made terms on which you can. And 2 Corinthians 5.20 puts it this way. We implore you on behalf of Jesus Christ, be reconciled to God. That, that's a big word that simply means be at, made at peace with God. And the, the, the pathway to that has already been paid. Your sins have been paid for on the cross. So you can't point back and say, well, I've got my sin. Yes, you do. As a matter of fact, that has been dealt with. If you will, by faith, trust in his payment for, sin, for your sin on the cross, that's taken out of the way. And he says, but that's not all. Not only are your sins forgiven, not only is that the wages of sin dealt with, now come. Come in and experience the the eternal blessings of intimate relationship. I'm going to cause my Holy Spirit to dwell within you. I'm going to give you my word that you may know my heart. And I'm going to give you my body that you might be encouraged and strengthened. He says, be reconciled to God. But there is clearly one way. You don't get to come on your terms. You don't get to establish the, the, the guidelines for this relationship. Because why? Because we're sinners. We're going to make it about us. We're going to make it on our terms. It will be a, a broad way. And Jesus says, no, it's a very narrow way. It's a very narrow way. I am the door. I am the door. And then he says in Matthew seven thirteen, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. You see, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and nothing comes to the Father but through Him. And so, friend, today, we call you to be reconciled Be at peace with God, but you do it on His terms. Second, if you've been reconciled to God, be devoted to communion with Him. There's a a passage in Revelation 3.20 that has been used as a salvation verse. I don't think it is that at all. It's written to the church. And I think it's written to, to to have communion with Christ. And it's this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Many of you have seen that picture on the wall of some church. We had it in the back of our little Baptist church in Waverly, Kansas. There's a picture of, of a kindly Jesus with really long flowing locks standing at the door and his face was strangely lit and he was knocking at the door. A little wooden door and a stone background, right? Some of you are picking up what I'm putting down. And, and, and that beautiful picture. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. This is all about intimate fellowship with God. An intimate fellowship with God allows you then to grow in your knowledge and delight of God. Studying the Word of God is an act of faith. It is an act of faith that says, I believe that this is the Word of God. 
It is His very Word. And I come to it saying, God, I, I believe this is You, and I believe You have want to speak to me. That's faith. Right? A lot of people don't believe that. That's an act of faith. Prayer is a great act of faith. You're talking to someone you can't see, that you can't feel, and that you're, you're talking. Okay? That's faith. Believing that he not only he is there, but that he hears. And that you have any right whatsoever to come before his throne of grace to find help in time of need. Which you and me, we know, the only right we have is based on the right that is, has been bought for us by Jesus Christ. He calls you into communion. That's what friends do. It would be kind of strange to get married and say, well, we're married. See you. We do that with our earthly friends, though, don't we? Right? We kind of say, hey, I'll see you in a f- six months, or I'll call you. Text- Guys, we're really good at this. Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll text my, one of my best friends, you know, for the first time in eight months and say, hey, thinking of you. Um, that's who we are. But he never leaves us or forsakes us. He calls us into that, that, that time of talking with him, of walking with him, and following him. 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So, you were reconciled. You commune. Right? And then finally, this thing of obedience. And this is a tougher one for us to get. But I believe that there is an issue surrounding obedience that we miss. We think it's just a matter of Okay, the Bible said it, um, must obey. No, it is an act, again, without faith, it is impossible to please God. I believe that it is an act of faith that leads us to obedience. What do we sing? Trust and obey, for there's no other way, right? That word trust, you could substitute faith and obey. It just didn't sound as good in the song, but, but, but it is an act of faith that says, again, Lord, I believe that when I came to your word and I spent time with you, not only was it true, but Lord, I believe that it's it's something your spirit is prompting me to either give up or to go to, to trust you and your word and to act in obedience. And what honors a friend more if my wife tells me that her favorite restaurant is fill in the blank, you know, not McDonald's, I can assure you that. But if she, then, then, and if I believe her, and I say, honey, I'm going to take you to your favorite restaurant, and then take her somewhere else, then it, I, number one, I didn't listen. Number two, I wasn't believing her, right? With Christ, we hear, and we believe, and we act, and it honors Him. It honors Him when we trust Him. Trust Jesus and live in faithful obedience is this third step of, of and, and again, it's not about religion. It's not about having a list. That's not it. It's about knowing intimately. And then as I grow to know him more, and some of our senior saints can speak to this very clearly, that as they've gotten older, there are things that they might not even have thought as, as issues in their life, that now you're like, man, I, I never really thought about that, Lord, but, but I think that's getting in the way of us. I don't want anything between us. I just want you. I want this. 
So much so that I've stood beside bed, a bedside of, of a dear lady in Waterloo, Iowa at our first church. And I remember standing there as a 23, 24-year-old 23, and hearing her say, Man, I just can't wait to be with Jesus. And I thought, man, I, I kind of can't wait till supper. And I say that not to be, that's, that, that is literally how trivial that I felt in her presence. Here, and, and literally the next day she passed away. And she was with her Savior. That she didn't want anything in between. It's gotten so much that all this stuff of life now, she didn't even want the barrier of life, of flesh, to be in the way. She just wanted to be with Him. That's the picture of, of one who is, I want to be reconciled to God. I want to commune with God. I want, Lord, I want, to, I want to know you more so that I can live more like you. And, and, and as I do that, man, we, we'll be even greater friends. And ultimately, we'll live with you forever. That is the friendship he calls us into. Trust is at the heart of any good relationship. And it's at the heart of our relationship with Christ. And finally, I'd say, let your relationship with Jesus Transform your relationship with others. There's no greater honor to give to God than to love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might and love your neighbor as yourself. You see, as you let your relationship with Jesus Christ transform you, it doesn't just happen in a vacuum. It happens in community to where not only are you affected by others, but you are then portraying Christ to them. You're pouring out into them what Christ is doing in your life. That's why we walk in the light as He is in the light and we have fellowship with one another. 1 John 1.7 says. 1 John 4.19 and 21 says this. We love because He first loved us. In other words, He influenced us to love. As he loves. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen. He who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You see, those people that we spend time with, we can't help but be affected by them. We are influenced by, we are impacted by, we are changed by time in their presence. And the closer the bond, the more the change. And friends, that's what Christ calls you into. Into a deeper, more full, more intimate relationship with Him. Some of us have have sat here for 20, maybe 30 years. And you're about where you were when you first stepped in the door. I want to call you to repent. To come to Him. And I, I say repent in a good way. We always say, repent, man, he's harsh. No, if you're walking the wrong way and you're going towards a way that leads to destruction, I call to you and say, turn away, come back. Come back to intimate fellowship with the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the friend of sinners, Jesus Christ. Friend, come. Come. And if this morning you've been putting too much on your earthly friendships and you've been counting too much hoping for too much and expecting too much of them, come and let Him satisfy. Come and let His love, His compassion, His capacity, let Him satisfy you, for He genuinely cares for you.
Let's pray. Gracious Father, I pray that we would worship You as the greatest of all. Eternal King of kings and Lord of lords. Yet, I pray that we would come into Your presence, friends, ones who have been invited in to come and to commune and to fellowship in a way that is deep, eternal, and abiding. And may you be exalted in this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.